You're listening to Mr. Open Banking, the only podcast dedicated to exploring the open banking movement. Whether you're a financial expert, banking executive, or everyday consumer, open banking affects everyone and will change the way we interact with our money. I'm A.L. Savan, your host. This episode is brought to you by Axway, leaders in enterprise integration for over 20 years. This is quite a personal episode for Mr. Open Banking, because on this edition, we're talking about open banking in Canada. And Canada just happens to be where I call home. In fact, I spent most of my professional career with a major Canadian bank as part of their enterprise architecture team. It was during my time there that I first discovered open banking, and it was love at first sight. Almost immediately, I tried to champion open banking internally, hoping to convince the bank to see open banking not as a threat, but as an enormous opportunity to lead as innovators and to grow their business. For obvious reasons, I can't get into specifics, but let's just say I encountered head-on the kind of response that has become common among large incumbent banks the world over, who encounter open banking for the first time. Confusion, resistance, and, in some cases, fear. To be sure, I worked with some very smart people. They understood very well what open banking was and what it was trying to do, but trying to fit the existing bank model into the open banking mold proved difficult, to say the least. A future world where the large bank still held the same commanding presence it does today seemed elusive. This episode explores the Canadian experience with open banking, a country where six dominant banks form the center of the economy, the same kind of market concentration that today exists in many countries. Canada will be our template to discuss the disruption that open banking is causing amongst traditional banks the world over, and what they will have to do to successfully navigate the open future. Our guest on this episode is Senator Colin Deacon of Nova Scotia, Canada. The Senator is an entrepreneur at heart who brings his spirit of inventiveness and innovation to the Canadian Senate. Prior to joining the Senate, Deacon ran several successful global businesses, the latest of which was Blue Light Analytics, a technology firm providing data tools to dental offices worldwide. Deacon was appointed to the Senate on June 15, 2018, where he has made strides in changing Canada's technology ecosystem to advance innovation and, of course, open banking. Thank you for being on the show today, Senator. Thanks, Al. For those who are unaware, why don't you give us an overview of the current financial landscape here in Canada? Well, we've got a banking system that is very traditional in nature for the most part. We've got six big banks and a uh, system of credit unions across the country, independent, small, community-based credit unions for the most part. I think it's fair to say that we have what has been traditionally thought of as a very strong, stable, traditional banking system. So along comes open banking. Let's jump right in. Why don't you explain what open banking is in your own words? Well, open banking really is a way of bringing financial technology firms. And these are firms that are using cloud-based technology to deliver unique tools that empower individuals and small businesses with information, with financial management tools, 
with the ability to predict their expenditures far more accurately than they ever could in the past, to pay bills easier, to uh, manage their expenses more effectively and cost efficiently. What they need, though, is access to the customer's banking information in order to optimize the value they can deliver to those customers. Some of those big six that you mentioned here in Canada did not exactly welcome competition from these fintechs with open arms. Is that fair? I think it's fair to say that they have not embraced competition from these new financial technology firms that are offering very specific services that are far more advanced than traditional banking services have been. They're not as happy with the idea of those financial technology firms automatically accessing the bank's customer's data, even if the bank's customer wants that to happen. The reason I think is fair that this offers a a competition to the bank that they're not necessarily able to keep up with from a technology standpoint, and they'd rather keep ownership of that client's business to themselves. This is a, you know, sort of the traditional moat way of looking at your business. And I think banking around the world has been more of a sort of system where you've got wider and deeper moats being encouraged by banks and regulators. And the move to open banking is more of an ecosystem uh, approach where you have a bank at the center of a whole lot of financial technology businesses that are offering unique and specific services to a business based on its specific needs or an individual based on their specific needs. So far, I think the Canadian banks have been reluctantly moving in this direction. They have certainly have been more recently signaling a desire to move in this direction, but I haven't heard them clamoring for a change in the regulatory environment to enable open banking. So let me play devil's advocate for a minute. There are those who would say the Canadian banks are highly innovative. They release award-winning mobile banking experiences. They've partnered with fintechs to offer aggregation services. Don't you think that's enough? Is there really a demand for something more? Well, the demand is obvious. You can't debate it. Four million Canadians right now are using financial technology services in this country. So the demand is there. Obviously, there are services that the banks are not offering, or Canadians wouldn't be moving to these financial technology firms. So here in Canada, just like in many other places, we have a few very large banks at the center of our economy. In our case, they are known as the Big Five or the Big Six, depending on who you ask. These banks pride themselves on being old, traditional, conservative, and stable. Typical of this kind of banking environment, the Big Six control an outsized amount of the banking market, between 80 and 90 percent, by some measures, even more. Some claim this market concentration is a benefit, aiding stability, but its existence cannot be denied. Now along come the fintechs, these new technology upstarts who suddenly offer financial services that compete with the banks. Rather than embracing this new competition, in many cases, they revert back to as Colin described it, wider and deeper moats. The demand is there. Over 4 million Canadians, more than 1 in 10, has signed up for alternative financial services, offering them new ways to manage, invest, and use their money. Open banking offers a way to bring these fintech players to Canadians in a secure and regulated way, but it requires the banks 
to give up their moats. And that starts with opening up data, which today is owned by them. At this point, what some banks would bring up is what has come to be known as the asymmetry problem, or the reciprocity problem. They would say, well, if I have to give up all of my data, doesn't Facebook and Google have to give up their data? I asked Colin about this asymmetry problem. Here's his answer. Number one, I would argue it's not their data. Currently, it is data that they have been able to use within a certain level of constraint, but it's the individual's data who originates. Whatever data around my banking is my data. It's not theirs. Currently, they are the only ones that control it. I don't. I just think it's true for the the entire economy. The individual who is originating the data, who's producing the original data stream, is the one who should control how that data stream is used. And yeah, if that's the position that that the banks have, I don't think it's a barrier. Do you think there's a certain danger in going first with banking and later with these tech companies who command so much horsepower and could gobble up all this data? There are data streams coming off of all of our devices, our vehicles, you name it, about us, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. It's a huge volume of data that touches on every aspect of our life. What I want to do is have us individually very clear guardrails up that protect us from making bad choices as we have on highways, as we have in various aspects of our life. We have lots of places where we protect people from making very bad decisions. And right now that's happened in a number of cases around people's data where they've pressed I accept and they didn't know where the data was going or what data they were giving up. For me, it's a very simple thing that we have to update our overall privacy protections in this country. But I think we could do it in the banking area. We could be doing it right now with agreements. Very simply, there could be agreements in place that say this is how it's managed. The sad fact is Canada has fallen behind in open banking. We actually started off on the right foot. A consultation paper published in January 2019 called A Review into the Merits of Open Banking was very well received, prompting hundreds of public responses from businesses and individuals alike. Mind you, this was still late relative to places like the UK or Australia, but at least it was a start. Since then, little has happened. To be sure, various meetings and discussions have been held by the key stakeholders from the banks and the government, often aided by large consulting firms. The most significant result was the publication of a report back in January 2020 entitled Consumer-Directed Finance, the Future of Financial Services. Despite a questionable call to change the name Open Banking, the report took a surprisingly forward-thinking view and made some excellent recommendations. However, it made no hard statements about bank obligations or timelines, instead recommending another year of consultation. The report has been gathering dust ever since. As a result, concrete progress on open banking has been difficult to achieve. The Canadian press has not been kind, chiding the banks for their laggard behaviour since at least late 2019. More recently, the rhetoric has been cranked up. A recent Financial Post article dated July 10th, 2020, 
puts it bluntly. Quote, Without access to data, digital upstarts have little chance of stealing market share from legacy institutions, even if they offer a better service. End quote. Here's where we picked up. Can you describe some of the things you've done in the Senate to push open banking forward? I've been advocating during this COVID crisis that we use financial technology firms to help distribute funds. You know, pay tech firms could be very, very helpful in delivering emergency funds to individuals, in quickly distributing funds and updating the delivery of funds to individuals. Fintech lenders could be phenomenally helpful, I believe, in getting to groups of small businesses that are not currently being served by the big banks or the credit unions. We've got billions of dollars of loans outstanding through our fintech lenders already. Unfortunately, they're not being allowed to maintain their existing relationships with customers that have chosen to deal with them rather than through the credit unions or the banks and deliver the COVID relief funds that the government has been distributing. The Finance Canada has chosen not to work with them which I think is a real shame. And some of them are even approved by the Small Business Administration in the United States to uh, work in the delivery of COVID funds to small businesses in the U.S., but they can't get that approval in Canada. That puts them at a terrible competitive disadvantage globally. And I think it's unfortunate they can't maintain a relationship with their customer that has gone to them because of the differentiated value they could offer versus the traditional players. The world has shifted. And unfortunately, Canada is not shifting yet. We're losing fintechs to the U.S. North One Bank went to New York, $2 million seed round two years ago in Canada, and just finished a $30 million round in New York City. They left because of the the regulatory environment. I mean, you know, you look at companies like Vero Money that just finished a $240 million U.S. round in, in the United States in the midst of the COVID crisis. It's a fully digital bank aiming at the underbank. It's fantastic. We can't afford that in Canada right now. In this recovery, if we're going to pay for all the debt we've created in the last three months uh, in response to, you know, and I think excellent responses to this global pandemic, if we're going to grow our economy fast enough to pay for all that debt, we're going to have to use every productive opportunity we can get. So that's another one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about moving forward with open banking. A number of articles published in the past year agree with you. They decry a lack of progress on open banking here in Canada, lack of progress on developing an actual standard. You can hear that same frustration in some of your answers. Why is that happening? Why the delay? I don't understand it. I mean, the Finance Canada report was provided to the Minister of Finance in June, and he waited until a Friday afternoon in January till he released it. Friday afternoons are not necessarily the time where you put out an announcement that you really want to have a lot of attention paid to. At this point, it's clear to me that Finance Canada is not bursting at the seams with energy to move this file forward. I don't know why. It's a very important move for improving Canadian productivity. The elements needed to be successful, digital identity, improvements to our privacy legislation, along with the various pieces of regulatory reform, we can move forward on on virtually all of them or not. We could be very firmly and very confidently moving forward rather than standing still and watching the world move ahead of us at a crucial time and losing some of our highest growth and greatest contributors to productivity growth businesses in terms of the, the, the fintech industry, sources of huge amount of global investment 
having them leave the country. A common defense of the Canadian banking ecosystem is stability. And some would say that stability comes from a certain conservatism, a certain risk aversion. Doesn't this innovation ecosystem come with a great deal of risk? The risk I worry about the most is when your services, the products that you're offering, the services that you're offering are not at the cutting edge of global competitiveness. That's what worries me the most. When I see our banks offering services that if it was in any other country would not be viewed as being competitive in terms of the level of value being delivered, that's worrisome to me. Because what it means at a certain point is that you are protecting your industry because of the, the width and the depth of your moat. You're not strengthening your underlying industry by making sure it is the most competitive, it offers the greatest value to its customers regardless of their location in the world. I look at this as a disrupt or be disrupted world, and I worry that if we do not embrace open banking, if we do not bring greater global competition to our banks in a careful but controlled and deliberate manner, that our banks will become increasingly less competitive in terms of the services that they're offering to Canadians. Fascinating. It sounds like you're saying the risk of not doing open banking far outweighs any risk of doing it. Well, it, we, we've got to be careful. Obviously, we could go at uh, opening up the regulatory environment to new players and do so in a way that created enormous amounts of risk. I believe firmly that the vast majority of fintech players in this country want a well-regulated, carefully controlled environment that they are competing with because what they do not want are some uh, gunslinging players that come into the marketplace and ruin it for everybody. It's like the banking industry. You want to make sure that you understand how well they're capitalized. You understand the companies that are allowed to deal with the public have certain conditions in place. It's no different with open banking. Absolutely not. But what we don't want to do is have a closed environment. Our regulatory environment has to allow new entrants, not just protect incumbents. The Senator's position is clear. Open banking is necessary in order to ensure that Canadian banks continue to be globally competitive. If they don't adapt soon, other global banks that are more nimble, more innovative, and more rewarding will take their customers. Disrupt or be disrupted. In a sort of ironic twist, this actually makes open banking the ultimate moat. Only by adopting a common, regulated standard for the sharing of financial data can Canada ensure that other players, Collins, gunslingers, follow the same rules as everybody else, protecting the banks from the asymmetric competition that they so fear. The best part is we already have most of the pieces. On the digital ID front, we have existing agencies like DIAC, legislation like PIPIDA, and actual working technology like SecureKey acting as a foundation. For payments, we already have Payments Canada and bank-owned Interact working together on a modernization program. All we are really missing is a common set of functional APIs for the standardized and secure sharing of Canadians' financial data. Perhaps most important of all, we are rich with a special kind of currency. 
one that Canada prides itself on. It is perhaps the single most important ingredient to building the financial services of the next century. Trust. From Collins' perspective, only by embracing open banking can the big six create a dynamic, competitive financial ecosystem that leverages that trust to offer the best banking services in the world. So what should Canada do to move things forward? Here's Collins' answer. I think you've got to have a point on the horizon that you're aiming at. For me, I think our strength in our banking system is we have six very strong, very stable banks that the world respects. If we can keep that at the core, but bring into it the ability for those banks to be at the center of an ecosystem of financial technology companies that can play with any one of the banks, that can work with any one of the banks based on certain rules and conditions and start selling those services globally, we can have the Canadian banks at the center of a global financial services industry rather than a Canadian financial services industry. We have got the ability in my mind to capture a massive global opportunity because of the fact that Canadians are trusted. Our Canadian banks are trusted. So why don't we go after being the best bankers in the world, offering the most innovative, most reliable, most trusted financial technologies to individuals in different markets? That's the vision I have for our banking system. We can only do it by all of us coming to the table and putting our cards on the table and buying in and saying, okay, let's do this. Let's create the environment that allows that to happen. In the U.S., there's an organization named the Financial Data Exchange, FDX, which is taking a more market-driven approach to the development of a standard. Do you think an approach like that could work here in Canada? I'm a big believer that standards, technical standards, should be and can be developed outside of government. In Canada, we have the CIO Strategy Council that's been working on our framework for digital identity for across Canada. If you can't measure something, it's very, very hard to regulate it. And so let's start with technical standards that are focused very clearly on measurement and and things that can be quantified and, and controlled. The best place to do that in the digital industry is when you get a whole lot of chief information officers around the table from various sectors and and sizes of businesses, all talking about the problem from their different perspectives. I think that is an asset in Canada that we have this standard-setting body called the CIO Strategy Council, and I would love to see us using it far more widely. I think it can play a tremendous role in helping us to have an agile regulatory environment in key areas. So to be clear, you're not advocating that the policymakers write the standard. You just think they should be there as a sort of catalyst. Absolutely. Are there any open banking initiatives out there that you admire? I'll tell you what I admire is uh, the Consumer Data Rights Act in Australia that's totally shifting the way uh, businesses are looking at the consumer's data and how the consumer's data is managed. That, to me, is is fantastic. We're starting to look at data like we look at money. It's something that can be invested. It's something that people should be able to have complete control over how it's used, just as they do with their money. The future of the world is in how we use data. And if we can have the most sophisticated organizations understanding how to use data in the most effective manners, based in Canada and selling those services and that capability around the world, 
That's a tremendous advantage for Canada. But right now, we're not looking at data in Canada as an investable asset for individuals. Let's shift gears to data ownership. Why is it important for Canadians to control their own financial data? What's important for Canadians to control their data, period. The reality is we're moving into a world where so much is known about us in various organizations that we have no idea sometimes how much an organization knows about us. Banks are part of that. Banks monitor absolutely every transaction we make. They know much how much debt we have. They know what our equity positions are. They have a good idea of what our real estate assets are. They've got tremendous amounts of information on us, but we don't necessarily know what that is. We don't control access or use or the existence of that information. That's true for just about every aspect of our life right now. The fact is that Canadians need to know an awful lot more about what organizations know about them. And they need to be able to control what organizations know about them and how they use that information. So that's the shift that's coming. It's not just about banking. It's about the control over the rights that individuals have over their data. But the most important thing from my standpoint is data has tremendous value to our society and to us as individuals. And if we don't find a way for individuals to confidently be able to share their data and have it used for various purposes, different aspects of their data, their health data, their banking data, their social uh, wants and needs and likes information in terms of what goes to Facebook and other platforms. If people don't have the ability to control that, at a certain point, I believe people are going to start to become very suspicious and, and very concerned about the amount of data that is being used by others. While we've been focused on Canada, the situation you're describing is not unique to Canada by any means. And certainly it's true that concerns around data rights and your ownership of data, especially with social networks, is a global concern. Do you think this will ultimately lead us to have this conversation globally and develop global laws and standards? Well, there's the idea that the 31st human right should be data rights. Imagine if you were a migrant and your long history of having a good credit score and the good management that you bring uh, through your personal practices as an individual is being left behind in a war-torn country and you're coming with your family to Canada for the first time, you bring none of that with you today. That, to me, is the opportunity to control your data in a way that is transportable, uh, in a way that, that stays with you as an individual, uh, is something that will have tremendous benefit to all people in the world, regardless of your background or circumstances. And on the other side, has the enormous ability to be abused. You know, one of the concerns about a exposure notification app uh, for COVID is no way I'm not going to let Big Brother be watching everything that I do. If we can manage that risk and fear, all of a sudden we open up tremendous opportunities. But if we don't, I'm with them with that fear. I'm with them that people are gathering an awful lot of data on us today and we have no way to control it. And you see open banking as the thin end of that wedge. It brings so many tremendous benefits right off the bat. I think it brings the benefit of giving our banks the ability to become even more globally competitive if they've got an ecosystem of really effective 
and trusted fintechs. It's just it's win-win-win on every front. It gives Canadians far less expensive banking with far greater services and better insights into their financial situations. Small businesses have the ability to know very specifically whether they could pay a bill today or if they want to keep their working capital at a level that fits with their needs and gives them the flexibility they need. They shouldn't pay that bill for another two weeks. The cost of having a CFO that is doing that work for you on an ongoing basis makes the business unaffordable. When you can have an app that does it for you, it enables productivity gains throughout our economy if we bring in open banking. The banking system is the foundation of our economy. If you have a slow-moving, increasingly uncompetitive banking system that is offering services that are not globally competitive at a higher cost, that has ramifications to the whole economy. It sounds like you're challenging the Canadian banks to see open banking as an opportunity rather than a threat. It is. So, yeah, okay. <laughs> I just... <it's, laughs> but absolutely, yes. What needs to happen next to create an effective open banking framework here in Canada? We need the Minister of Finance to prioritize it. It's that simple? I think so. If you had to pick a time frame, when do you believe we will start to see open banking and more generally data rights emerge as common policy here in Canada? COVID has completely disrupted the legislative agenda in this country. Completely. As we move into COVID recovery... I think we absolutely have to have Parliament working. Once Parliament starts working, I think there's every ability for us to start moving on some of these files. And I hope sincerely that open banking, improved privacy legislation, that digital identity, a number of these factors are prioritized in order to give Canada every productivity tool possibly available to aid and abet in our recovery. Let's give ourselves every possible chance to turn our ideas into new sources of wealth and opportunity for Canadians. Love the optimistic note. If everything goes right and we adopt an effective open banking policy here in Canada, where do you see us in five to 10 years? I'm so proud to be Canadian. What's the fastest company in the world to get to a billion dollars in revenue? Shopify. Why do we not have 25 Shopify's right now? We can. We can. We have to prioritize it. I'm a believer in the fact that Canadians have the best interests of their customers and other citizens in the world at heart. I believe Canadians have a great value system and that we're trusted for that. We're exporters of goodwill in a significant way. Let's use that reputation to build businesses that deliver even more value. But let's be really smart about it. Let's be really determined. And let's not be the Boy Scouts that we have often been and let others win the race because that's the polite thing to do. No, let's be determined to be number one. That's what I'm aiming for for Canada. Let's make sure we become the number one country in the world in terms of exporting our ideas. As a fellow Canadian, you've got me excited. Where can our guests find out more about you, your work at the Senate, and your efforts to promote open banking? ColinDeacon.ca is a website that uh, the Senate has for me. I'm focused on a lot of different projects with my team, 
Open banking is very close to my heart and glad that you're interested in what uh, I've been working on, AL, really. And I'm glad that you're doing what you're doing to try and uh, push this topic. Well, thank you, Senator. And thank you for being on the show today. My pleasure. To the Canadian banks and other banks in similar markets, I issue a challenge. A challenge to look beyond convention. A challenge to envision the financial services ecosystem so fluid and flexible that money, accounts, and financial data flow freely from one bank to another all over the world. Add to that vision your bank, building that new world, charting the course, and leading the way for others to follow. But to do so, you will first have to shun your oligopic histories and tired business models. You will have to do more than just beat your competitors by half a point on the same old boring products. Instead of just saying you put the customer first, you will have to actually do it. And if that means selling something from another bank, then so be it. Because the customer and their trust does indeed come first. To get there, reach out to organizations in your region that support open banking and get behind them. In Canada, this includes groups like the CIO Strategy Council, the Digital Identity Lab, and the Open Banking Initiative Canada, or OBIC. These groups are pushing for standardization to enable more fluid and secure sharing of financial data. If you already partner with fintechs, as many large banks do, ask yourself honest questions about how that's going, and think about how much easier it would be if there was a standard way to do it. What would you do if you could integrate with 10 fintechs, or 100, or 1,000, instead of just one or two? What if those fintechs were not just in your home market, but global? What would your products look like if you could seamlessly stitch them together with products from others? What kind of advice could you offer your clients if you could really see everything about them? all their data, from everywhere. Would your bank still make money the same way? Or would you find yourself in a completely different business? For traditional banks, answering these questions is the challenge. Those who answer well, who rise to the challenge, will build the future. And those who answer poorly will not survive. To succeed you will have to reimagine your bank as a builder, as a trusted advisor, as a true innovator, as a player on the global stage of open banking. Thanks for listening to Mr. Open Banking, the podcast that explores the ongoing evolution of open banking and its impact on our lives. Make no mistake, the rise of open banking is going to change financial services forever, and we will be covering that story every step of the way. This is your host, A.L. Savan. Until next time. This episode was made possible by Axway, leaders in enterprise integration for over 20 years and creators of the Amplify platform. To learn more, visit axway.com dot com.